Are you ready? Hello and welcome to another episode of the Around the CFL podcast. Anthony back here with you again today and we have got a lot to get to. We are going to be reviewing the East and West semifinals. We're going to be taking a look ahead to the upcoming East and West finals. We have also got coach Blake Nill from the UBC Thunderbirds joining us today as he is getting prepared to take on the U of A Golden Bears in the Hardy Cup. But before all that, let's take a peek at the news. Bo Levi Mitchell's first season with the Hamilton Tiger Cats already has the former all-star quarterback thinking about his future. He's a high-profile off-season acquisition, but didn't seem happy with his limited playing time during the team's 27-12 loss to the Montreal Alouettes in Saturday's East Division semifinal. That left him wondering post-game whether he just took his final snaps with the hammer. He said he's going to sit down with Orlando Steinhauer, Scott Milenovic, and the top guys, and he's going to have some conversations. What he said next, though, kind of really struck me as odd. He said, obviously, it's fresh right now, but if you're not playing your highest paid player on the team of the team, sorry, in the playoff game, I don't foresee myself being here. So this is very similar to how he handled himself coming out of Calgary last season. He was very vocal with how he felt like he was better than Jake Mayer going into the stretch and going into the playoffs. And he was vocal kind of about all of that. So I don't really know if the comments that he said are very justified or even if it's very professional, my opinion, but we're going to see how this plays out. On the flip side to all this, Orlando Steinhauer, who is Hamilton's president of football operations and head coach, used his offseason media availability on Monday to address the comments that Bo said regarding his future following the East semifinal. He just flat out said, I don't have any comments on Bo's comments, but what I love about Bo is that he speaks from the heart. So it's kind of interesting there. Uh, though it appears Steinhauer and Mitchell remain on good terms, he also didn't give the two-time Grey Cup champion a ring endorsement when he was asked about the future. Orlando said, Bo's a tie cat right now. He's under contract. The way things work out this year, it wasn't ideal for anybody, including Bo. So, Bo is upset. It sounds like maybe Orlando felt the same way that a lot of us felt when he heard Bo's comment saying WTF. So yeah, this is going to be a very interesting offseason in Hamilton. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers had three very important absences from practice at this wide receiver position in advance of their Western final matchup against the BC Lions. Dalton Schoen, Nick Dembski, and Rashid Bailey did not take part in practice for the Bombers on Wednesday. Schoen hasn't played since the win over the Lions in Week 18. He has had 1,233 receiving yards, 10 majors, over 16 regular season games. The star receiver has been dealing with an ankle injury and his status is still uncertain. Dembski is dealing with an ankle issue as well on his own and missed the first two days of practice for Winnipeg. The national receiver went for 1,006 yards and 6 touchdowns in 2023. 
while Bailey is the only one of the trio that played in the Bombers' last game of the season in Week 21 against Calgary, leading the team with 81 yards and a touchdown to finish the season with 508 and 6 touchdowns. The veterans showed up on the injured reserve report on Tuesday with a knee injury. The Canadian Football League has suspended Hamilton Tiger Cats strongside linebacker Chris Edwards for three games after striking opponents and inciting a non-football altercation during the East semifinal. The 30-year-old threw Montreal Alouette's Jake Hardy to the ground and punched him in the head in the final minute of Saturday's playoff game at Molston Stadium. The incident caused both benches to clear, followed by a long stoppage of play while the officials sorted things out. Edwards was ejected for his role in the altercation, as was Montreal Alouette's running back Jeshron Antwi. A total of five penalties were assessed, with Montreal gaining a net of 15 yards. Edwards is, of course, no stranger to supplemental discipline, as he was assessed a maximum fine earlier this season for punching, again, Alouette's receiver Austin Mack. At the end of the 2021 season, Edwards was suspended for six games after engaging in a physical altercation with a fan after the East Final. The suspension was later reduced to three games, which he served at the start of the 2022 season. And finally in the news, the 2023 CFL All-Stars include seven national players, 16 first-timers, and 11 players who have been selected on multiple occasions throughout their careers, including two five-time CFL All-Stars, which that included Willie Jefferson and Richie Leone. The Toronto Argonauts lead all teams with eight selections. For the first time ever, fans also voted for their fan favorite player with, of course, Winnipeg's Brady Oliveira taking the title in addition to being named a league all-star. BC's Vernon Adams Jr. and Toronto's AJ Ouellette placed second and third in the ultimate recognition from the fans. For the offense, quarterback was Chad Kelly, running back, of course, Brady Oliveira. Receivers were Dalton Schoen, Tim White, Keon Hatcher, Austin Mack, and Reggie Bagleton. The center was Darius Siraco. Guard Ryan Hunter and Patrick Newfeld. The offensive tackles were Dijon Allen and Jamarcus Hardrick. On the defensive side of the ball, big shock defensive end Matthew Betts and Willie Jefferson. The defensive tackles Mike Rose and Casey Sales. Linebacker Winton McManus, Micah Awe, which I was kind of surprised that Cameron Judge wasn't in this list anywhere. Cover linebacker Adrius Pickett. Cornerback was Demero Houston and Gary Peters. The halfbacks were Robertson Daniel and TJ Lee, while the safety was Mark Antoine DeCoy. For special teams, kicker Sean White took it all, with the punter being Richie Leone, and special teams was Javion Leak from Toronto. Pajardo looking his way, Austin Mack, touchdown! Definitely on the field. Definitely is, and we wondered that hit he took before. Would he be able to come back? The playoffs are officially upon us. On Saturday, the East semifinal took place with the Hamilton Tiger Cats traveling out to Molson Stadium to take on the Alouettes. And it was Montreal taking this one 27-12, heading to Toronto to take on the Argos in the Eastern Final.
For the Ticats, Matthew Schiltz went 13 for 23, 144 yards and one interception. James Butler on the ground went 13 for 83. And for receiving, Omar Bayless had two catches for 37 yards, where Terry Godwin also got involved with two catches for 36 yards. And then Tyreek McAllister also was in there, where he had three catches for 36 yards, including a touchdown. For the Alouettes, Cody Fajardo went 15 for 23, 212 yards, two touchdowns in the air and an interception. William Stanback had a monster game on the ground, 18 carries for 95 yards. Tyler Sneed was the big receiver of the day, two catches for 50 yards. Austin Mack had three catches for 46 yards and a touchdown. Tyson Philpott had four catches for 39 yards. And Jake Hardy had three catches for 31 yards and a touchdown as well. And it was a solid performance by the Alouettes. And the Alouettes, like I said, are now heading out to Toronto to take on the Argos this coming weekend for the Eastern Final. Slot to the left of Adams, looks to the right, throws to the right, touchdown! It's Keon Hatcher picking apart the Calgary Stampeders again! And Vernon Adams has two in the air and two on the ground. Game two of Saturday's doubleheader was the West semifinal with the Calgary Stampeders heading out to BC Place to take on the Lions. And it was the Lions taking this one 41-30, punching their ticket to IG Field to take on the Bombers. For Calgary, Jake Mayer went 23 for 34, 304 yards, two touchdowns, two interceptions. Kadeem Carey had a solid performance, 14 carries for 75 yards, which could also be his last performance as this was his contract year for Calgary. Reggie Bagleton in the air did exactly what Reggie Bagleton does. Eight catches, 112 yards and a touchdown. Mark and Michelle had five for 66 with the other touchdown. For the BC Lions, Vernon Adams Jr., 28 for 39, 413 yards, two touchdowns. He also ran seven times for 54 yards and three touchdowns on the ground as well. Keon Hatcher had a monster game, nine catches, 195 yards, and a touchdown. Javon Katoy was the other big threat, six catches for 63 yards and the other touchdown. And it is time for the West Final, the rematch between the BC Lions and the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. It is also playoff time in Canadian college football. This past weekend had a bunch of really intense games. It started out with Concordia taking on Laval, and Laval needed two overtimes to take this one 34-27. It was St. FX and St. Mary's in the next game, and St. FX took this one 36-20. In the next game, it was actually, in my opinion, a huge upset. Western beat Queens 47-20, while Laurier beat Windsor 21-14, and Bishops took out Mount Allison 34-15. Montreal handled Sherbrooke very easily 54-3. In the Can West, it was the UBC Thunderbirds knocking off the University of Manitoba Bisons 29-21, with the University of Alberta Golden Bears taking down the Saskatchewan Huskies 40-17, and that's going to be setting up the Hardy Cup in Canada West, which is going to bring us to our very special guest today. We'll be right back, and we are going to be talking to UBC Thunderbirds head coach Blake Nill. 
today we have one of my favorite youth sport coaches. He is a three-time Vanier Cup winner and the 1999 CIS Coach of the Year. He is the head coach of the University of British Columbia Thunderbirds and is headed to his 12th Hardy Cup final versus the University of Alberta Golden Bears this coming Saturday, November 11th. Coach Neil, welcome. Thank you very much. Thank you for having me. You've had an exceptional career as a head coach, but you're also a former defensive lineman for the Montreal Concords of the CFL. Where did the football road start for you? You know, just growing up in, in a small town, Hannah, Alberta, play, you know, mostly hockey focused uh, youth. And uh, unfortunately, outgrew, outgrew the hockey, hockey uh, criteria there. And so, uh, you know, I, I started you know, thinking about football a bit, um, eventually walked on to uh, play junior football in Medicine Hat in 1980, spent a couple months in Medicine Hat in my grade 12 year playing junior football there. And uh, the next year as a, uh, as a graduated high school player, walked on at the University of Calgary, played for Mike Lashik, who I thought was very instrumental in helping me set my my path. Uh, did a little wrestling at University of Calgary. Uh, Coach Wayne Harrison, myself, were, were teammates both as on the football program and in the varsity wrestling program. So it was a very quick introduction to the game. And it, just uh, an unusual circumstance has led to you know, to me remaining in the game for so long. So Coach Harris just announced his retirement just a few days ago. What was your relationship like from there? I mean, you were players together, and then you've been, you know, going head-to-head -head as coaches for years. Well, and not only that, but Wayne was part of my staff for nine years at, at the University of Calgary, too. So uh, we, we have a close relationship probably you know when you're when you're competing as we have been the last nine years it, it can get a little strained uh at times you know um but but overall I, when Wayne announces retirement I sent him a quick note telling him you know I didn't really know what to say but I wanted to know I wanted him to know how appreciative I was uh, for his guidance as a young man, he when I came to the U of University of Calgary program, Wayne was a senior, and, and also the appreciation we had as colleagues for nine years at University of Calgary on the same staff. How did you know that you wanted to become a coach, and how did you make that transition? It, it was very. It was one hundred percent luck or good fortune or whatever. What what had happened? is I had returned to Alberta in 1990. I, I, I returned to Alberta from Montreal, began working working in a group home with, with young people. And I remember coming home one day and telling my wife, saying, saying you, you know, if I'm going to work with these kids, I might as well be a teacher and at least I'll get my summers off and I can coach a little football and all this. And what I did is I I applied to St. FX because my in-laws had a big, uh, a long history at St. FX. I, I applied there 
And I got this call one day from, from the guy and he goes, you know what? We, we can't put you into education, but we'll put you into phys ed if you agree to come and help our football program. And I, I couldn't believe, you know, I, you know, said, I said, of course I'll do that. You know, and I went in there, I still had no intention of, of remaining there past my degree, but, but I found something that I was strong at. I found something that um, I enjoyed the, I enjoyed competition so much. And, uh, and I, and I still do. I, I, I get up every day. I'm very thankful that I've, you know, I come to work and and I I'm stressed about winning, which I'm thankful for. But I but I I remain motivated to try to do everything I can to succeed. And so that that crack in the door at Saint FX was was huge in my life. And um, I I have two degrees from Saint FX. They they I give them so much credit for the person I am and will always be indebted to that school and that institution. So you started as a defensive coordinator at St. FX. Then you moved into a head coaching position with St. Mary's with the Huskies, where you won the CIS coach of the year award. Then it was on to the university of Calgary with the Dinos and now the UBC Thunderbirds. What do you credit your coaching longevity to? I think it's mostly uh, strong mentorship, you know, uh, being able to, you know, accept, accept input from others, being able, being able to understand that maybe there's a different way to do it. I think I've evolved more than, more than maybe some of my colleagues. Uh, the game has changed so much, but more than anything, how you approach young men has changed so much. And, you know, I grew up and was when I played in college and when I wrestled in college and when I played in the pros and, and during my early tenure as a coach itself, the, the norms associated with coaching were completely different than they are now. Some, some coaches have had difficulties accepting that. I've managed to balance it out. And I think that's a, a big part of my, my longevity. The, the other thing is, is that you also have to accept how your role changes. Uh, as a head coach, you're more of a CEO now than I was in 1998 when I started at St. Mary's. Uh, when, I, when I started at St. Mary's, I was the... I was the strength coach, the recruiting coordinator, the the defensive coordinator, the linebacker coach, and but but it was all on field. It was all it was all getting athletes in, developing them as best you can. Nowadays, I'm more likely to spend my day making sure my coaches have the tools making sure my athletes have the tools to be their success, to be, to be as successful as possible. So uh, where, where my, you know, where my defensive coordinator will be, will spend his day in front of film watching, you know, my, that that's only part of my day. It's a very small part of it. Now I'm more likely to be in front of a corporation saying, look, I need your, 
your partnership. I want to partner your brand with mine or in front of an alumnus saying, you know what, you need to, you need to consider supporting this program. This is what we're doing. And, and I can be motivated to do that. A lot of, a lot of coaches cannot, but for some reason I've, I've been able to sort of take the competitive element of being on field full time and, and direct some of that to, you know, running the company of UBC football. Is it difficult to kind of, I guess, because you're so used to being on the field from the way it used to be, you're on the field, you're in front of everybody all the time. Now, not so much. Is it difficult to kind of hand the reins over to the rest of your staff and not want to be there to help mentor the kids as often as you'd like to be? It's not difficult for me. I'm a, I'm a pretty, pretty loyal guy when, when, when you, um, when I when I finally have earned or when you've earned my trust and loyalty, I have no issue with that. You you know it's tough. Like I I do like coaching. I I do like being in front of, you know, watching film, and and I still do that. I I don't want people to think that I I'm totally totally uh, displaced from the on field part because I certainly have my input in that. But I just know that Dan DeRazio can coach offensive line better than Blake Neal can. So it might be better. It might be better uh, of a, a use of my time to raise the money to keep Dan DeRazio in the program, our Stevenson Bone, our Peter Buckley, and and that's I I think it's that understanding that has allowed us to sort of get this program to a point we have a chance to win more consistently than when I came here uh, in, in 2015. There has been a lot of talent come out of all of your programs, but we're talking more so about UBC right now. So quarterback Michael O'Connor, 2019, linebacker Ben Hladek in 2021, most recently defensive lineman Lake Cordy Moore, who went third overall to the Riders in this past year's CFL draft. What goes into your recruiting process to see the talent as young high schoolers? What we do, UBC football, we, we tell our parents, our families, when you're being recruited, that, that this program has three priorities. To get you to your athletic potential, get you to your academic potential, and, and get you out of here owing as little debt as possible. That That's my commitment to every every parent and every uh, young man. The thing that um, this program is designed to get young men to their potential athletically. And, and so consequently, we have a number of them that get to, to the next level. Uh, just this year alone, we've probably had half of the NFL teams here in the last two months looking at two of our offensive tackles. They're, they're amazed at the quality of athletes these two are. These Both, both these young men were totally off the radar when, it, when, it, when they were recruited, but they were recruited for their genetics, their athleticism. Then you, then you start to put the strategy of development in place, and, and that strategy incurs strength 
and conditioning, which I, I believe uh, I have the top strength and conditioning program in the country. Uh, academic, like we, we, we got to keep them in school, you know, and we got to make sure their time management, they, that their, their stresses of academics does not deter them from their, from their uh, athletic potential. So our academic program is substantial here. But what you, the reason we're able to, to continuously uh, churn out professional athletes, I believe through my career, or the reason I've been able to is that I understand it's a development. It's not just a hit and miss. Um, you you got to keep the kids engaged for four and five years. You've got to make sure that they come out physical, that they come out with good decision-making skills. And, uh, and consequently, we, we've had that formula. I've been able to apply that formula. I, I learned it a lot through St. FX and St. Mary's, but have really been effective with it at the University of Calgary and now UBC. I had Lake Cordy Moore on the podcast a few days after the draft. So I spoke to him right as it was fresh and he was praising you very much for your support and your guidance through the whole process, going through the combine and into the draft. It's just, it's amazing to hear a coach with as much passion as you have that is, you know, ready, willing to do that for every single person on his roster. So when you're doing your recruiting, do you see a difference in talent? I will say looking when, when you're recruiting from Eastern Canada to Western Canada. We, we consider ourselves a national recruiter at, at UBC. I, uh, I, I believe I was to a lesser extent at University of Calgary because of the strength of the Alberta, the Alberta, the local Alberta athletes. Um, at, at UBC, given the, the hurdles we face with primarily uh, admission, we, we, have to, we have to overturn more rocks, more stones to find the athletes we look for. And... Um, my my recruiting coordinator is is uh, Shamari Williams, Coach Williams, and I've been together now since 2019. Again, my I think you know I'll take credit for my insight to say you know what this guy might even be a better recruiter than you are. Why don't you just go find a way to keep him in the program? And and Shamari's just done a great job bringing an extra just an extra dimension into our recruiting process. And so what you're seeing now is, is UBC being fully engaged through coast to coast and even into the U.S. internationally as well. We're, we're uh, fortunately with our strong academic reputation comes an international interest it doesn't always work out, but it but there it does create a little bit of uh, you know every now and then you get lucky with a kid like our current quarterback, but but ultimately you got to develop the kid and you gotta the first couple of years are instrumental in their growth their maturity because they they got to become good decision makers and and they and you got to treat them realistically you can't. And, and I think that's another thing that we do here at UBC better than, than a lot of other places is that 
we'll look at you and we'll judge you. And and I have no problem telling a young man and, and his parents that, you know what, you're a terrific kid, but I just don't see the chemistry. I don't think it's going to be a win-win. We need a win-win here. And I think it's that transparency that that is a difference maker, especially especially in this generation of kids that are that need that. They need to be told the truth because they're too used to being just given positive input and and, un, and untrue input. I like to think that we're a, we're um, the kind of program that can look you in the face, be honest with you, compliment you when you deserve it, uh, recognize your strengths, but also your weaknesses, and 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 then implement a strategy to overcome those those shortcomings. This season, the Thunderbirds went six and two with an undefeated home record. What was your toughest challenge this season? Oh God, Canada West is is. Canada West football, which I have said since being exposed to it early, so 08, you know, maybe not my first year in, in Calgary, but quickly after after my Calgary tenure began, I, I quickly realized that if you don't bring your A game every week, you lose, or you have a very good chance of, of being unsuccessful that that day. And um Case in point, we go into University of Calgary. Most people, most people would have thought, you know, this should be an easy win. And I can tell you from the head coach's office, I knew exactly I was sort of stepping into the lion's den there, you know, and and that, but that's the way it is every week. It, it was similar last week in our playoff game versus Manitoba. I woke up last Saturday with a huge pit in my stomach, realizing that my season could end today. Very, There's a very good chance that we're going to be done playing football if we don't play our best. And um, at the end of the game, I remember telling Coach, I told Coach Doby, uh, if he would share a message to his players from me, and, and I told Coach, we prepared fully for your team, coach. We we didn't take you the slow start that, that people say we had wasn't from us being overconfident. It was because your because your program came out and took it to us. And um I I wanted his players to realize that the they they got all of our attention throughout the week of preparation and and we were fortunate to match their effort in the long in the long run of the game so it's funny that you say that that you woke up with that pit in your stomach like oh no this could end today how do you get your team prepared mentally for the playoffs like you have that feeling in your stomach but you can't convey that to your team so how do you get them prepared mentally and get them ready what I rely on is my experience uh, a lot. I, because you're right. I I can I can share experiences with you, but unless you believe it, unless you believe it, it it doesn't matter. And so my message to my young men all the time is is based on on real experiences that I have lived through during the course of my career, upsets, um, 
what happens when you don't prepare fully what happens when you when you make decisions of a certain of a certain in a certain way and um you know what what are the likely results because of those decisions and and that's the only way it's education and ultimately ultimately you need experiences and sometimes you sometimes you're fortunate enough to endure those experiences i'm talking about tough games and come out on the right side other times you have to have devastating like losses that that affect you emotionally to make sure that you you know that you've learned your mis- from your mistakes or that something needs to change for the next time you prepare in that way Phil, you're going into your fifth Hardy Cup appearance since joining UBC in 2015. What is the atmosphere like this week during practice and during the lead up? Uh, Very, very focused. Uh, We we totally recognize the the strength of the program we're we're facing in in University of Alberta. Coach Morris has done a tremendous job at Alberta molding that program around the way he played the game himself. You know, we're, we're tough, no nonsense, commitment to excellence, commitment to discipline. His surrounding core is, is similar. Uh, Coach Gass uh, played the game a lot of, you know, the same way Chris played it when, when they were together with the Eskimos, they had success as professionals with that demeanor and that type of approach, and you're starting to see them surface above other programs in the country because of uh, applying that uh, that success that kind of uh, culture. So I, I'm looking at this this U of A program, and I'm saying, man, they're they're like I I know what's going on there. They're they're a lot like there's a lot as parallels between both. Both are built off run games, which are required to win games in November. Both have both have fundamentally sound defensive schemes and special team schemes. And so this is going to be, this is going to, this game here, I'm convinced is going to come down to five or six plays that could go either way, a little bit of luck, and and a lot of like uh, looking looking in the mirror, you know. I'm talking to my athletes and saying, you know, am I tough enough to to go, you know, to give the effort required during this snap to make sure we're successful during this next six seconds of play, right? Do you feel like it's an advantage or a disadvantage to be playing at home for a game of this caliber? Oh, huge advantage. Huge advantage, like not not a guarantee. Like I, I didn't say it's a guarantee, but it's an advantage. Um, when when I was at Calgary, I played a, a total of fifteen Canada West playoff games as a head coach at University of Calgary. Thirteen of them were at home, and in those in those nine years at Calgary, we we won six Hardy Cups. And we played in seven straight Hardy Cups. 13 out of the 15 games, we were at home. 
that was a big reason for the dino success during my tenure. So you're going up against the U of A defense that gives up an average of, you know, just over 200 yards per game. How important is it for quarterback Garrett Rooker to get off to a fast start on Saturday, considering what you were talking about, how Manitoba came out quick against you last week? That's funny you said that, because just before we came on to this uh, podcast, I was with Coach Durazio, and we were talking about, you know, the importance of, of – gaining momentum on the offensive side of the on, of the ball. And what, what we have to do as, as a program is flat out, just be physical at the line of scrimmage, make sure Rooker, give Rooker some easy reads initially so that he can get into the game. Cause once he's in the game, he's a totally different young man. And, um, I, I think you do that by by focusing on on moving the ball on the ground or in the RPO package, and then as he gets as he gets more and more comfortable with the speed of the game and and what what U of A plans to do with us defensively, we can we can start looking at at you know more big play opportunities. Rooker is easily top five quarterback in the whole country. He's thrown 16 touchdowns this year, and a quarter of them went to receiver Sam Davenport, who is also, I'd say, a top five receiver in Canada. How has that connection affected the strong season this year for UBC and going into this weekend? Almost an instantaneous chemistry between the two. When 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 Sam... Sam, of course, is a carryover, a transfer from Simon Fraser University. So has not had a had a long tenure at UBC. But when he showed up, you know, when he started showing up to throwing workouts in the summer, you you could tell him and Rooker hit it off. And it's it's not, you know, it's not a stretch to say we struggled a lot. Like we 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 missed Sam for you know uh, almost a two and a half games there where, because of an injury, and um, we 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 lost two of those games, you know, and and Sam wasn't part of the wasn't on the roster when we when we uh, were successful at U of A a couple weeks ago, so. So U of A is going to have to deal with the realities of Davenport being on the on the roster again, which certainly favors us, you know. But um, he, the thing, the thing with Rooker is he's very uh, low key, very composed, very intelligent young man with you know, almost hidden athleticism. People look, when you look at him, you don't think, you don't think he's the kind of athlete that um, he he really is. And then what I tell people is go watch his huddle tape from high school and not, and not the football one, the basketball one, because he was also all district uh, shooting guard for his high school and uh, is, is quite the basketball player as well. We talk about a lot of the offensive side of the game, but what are some of the keys to victory this weekend for the Thunderbirds on all three phases of the game? 
defensively stopping Matt Peterson, the run game, uh, 22 is a, is a big time threat as well. We, we just, that offense is a, is a complex, appears to be a complex, you know, know, creates a lot of issues because there's so much motion, so many weapons and and they do a tremendous job making it easier for easy for the quarterback to distribute the ball, and so you know you, you can't go into that into any place saying okay we're just going to take away this guy or, or what because there's a chances are it could go to anyone on the field at any time. So I think defensively we we have to be very disciplined. Special teams has been a strength of ours all year. Our, our probably our most our most difficult day was was week eight in Alberta when when we made some characteristically some unforced I, I wouldn't call them unforced errors. We we didn't respond well to some of the things that Alberta did, which uh, you know we we have to be obviously better at this week coming up. What are some of the things that you're looking forward to most uh, when you play against the Golden Bears? First, first and foremost, I, I want people to know the the quality of the of Canada West football, and and I want them to imp- to appreciate the brand of Canada West football. That's the businessman in me coming out again. <laughs> I I want I want fans to know this is. This is very good football. Um, uh, just a quick story. In, in the early 2010-11, uh, John, John Frizzani, who is, uh, you know, CEO of Sport Check and, and owner of the Stampeders, his son, Michael, played for me. And one, one, e- one fall evening, we're, we're watching practice together. And John told me, that night, he said, "You know what? I, I could make a lot of money with these with this quality of football, and that's that has stuck with me for since then. You know, for 15 years now, about about the fan, the value we have. So I, I'm I'm looking forward to showcasing, being part of a, a Canada West showcase of football." along with Coach Morris, and uh, looking forward to that. And then I, I want to see how my young men respond, right? I, I want to see – you always want to see the fruits of your labor peak at the right time, and uh, hopefully hopefully, that's an opportunity we get this Saturday. And finally, Coach, you had mentioned Sam Davenport, how he was a transfer. I want to get your thoughts involving the Simon Frazier uh, situation right now with the Council football program. How has it affected uh, UBC's program? I mean, I know you got Sam out of it, but how has it affected the program as a whole? It, it hasn't affected the program. Um, we, we, got, we, we got two athletes from there. Again, you know, we're very selective in our recruit. I didn't want UBC to turn into a dumping ground for former SFU players. That That's not what we're about. Overall, it's a very unfortunate situation that occurred at, at Simon Fraser because, because of, of a, such a long, 
a long history, you know, and, and often, you know, when I played in the CFL, Simon in the eighties and the, in the eighties and the nineties, Simon Fraser produced very good football players. Uh, in, in the early, in the early two thousands are during my, during my tenure at Calgary, when Simon Fraser was in Canada West, I, I played Simon Fraser in the national semi in two, 2003, I, I played Simon Fraser in the Hardy Cup in 2008. So, so there was success there. What what happened here, though? I think has to the alumni have to shoulder much of this burden. There wasn't enough value. Uh, alumni are are the individuals who create value in any football program, whether it's NCAA, U Sports, wherever. It's the alumni, you know, that through their support, through their mentorship, but, but primarily through their support, that creates value. And, and obviously, a decision was made based on the value that the football team currently brings to school. Well, Coach, thank you so much for your time this morning. I really appreciate it. I know, like I said, you have a very busy schedule this week. Huge game this coming Saturday. But I really appreciate you taking the time to come on and, you know, break down what's happening at UBC right now. I'm a huge Thunderbirds fan. So it was great to have a chat with you today. Thank you very much. I very much appreciate the opportunity. Go Thunderbirds. That was our conversation with Coach Blake Nill of the University of British Columbia Thunderbirds as he's heading out to take on the Alberta Golden Bears. So the road to the Vanier Cup kicks off this coming Saturday, the November 11th. The Atlantic University Sports Loney Bowl has Bishops taking on St. FX. The OUA, or Ontario University Athletics, 115th Annual Yates Cup has got the Laurier Golden Hawks taking on the Western Mustangs. The RSEQ out of Quebec, the Dunsmore Cup, has Laval taking on Montreal. And Canada West, the 86th Annual Hardy Cup, University of Alberta Golden Bears versus the University of British Columbia Thunderbirds. After these divisional championship games, then it heads into the Vanier Tournament. We'll be right back and we're going to take a look at the upcoming East and West Finals. Saturday is a very busy day, not only with the Canadian College Football, but also our CFL East and West Finals. No on November 11th, Montreal travels out to Toronto with the Alouettes taking on the Argonauts for the East Final, and someone's going to punch their ticket to the Grey Cup. I would love to see Montreal take this one. They have battled hard all season. I think they've got a great team. And Jason Moss has really proved himself as having a really great program. Cody Fajardo is revigorated. You know, Toronto is the powerhouse, but I'm all for an upset. I see Montreal taking this one. And then in the West Final, the BC Lions travel out to IG Field to take on the Juggernaut Bombers. I am going BC, no surprise, as you've listened to this podcast all season. I have never bet against the BC Lions, and I'm not going to start now. I'm going to say the BC Lions will take this one. The Grey Cup will be the Lions and the Alouettes. 
that is it for us this week. You can follow us on X, Threads, Instagram, at Around the CFL Podcast. Send us a DM. We'd love to hear from you. You can also find our podcast on Apple, Amazon, iHeart, or wherever else you get your podcasts from. And please go ahead and leave us a five-star review if you're loving the show. We'll be back again next week where we're going to take a look back at the East and West Finals and preview the Grey Cup. And that is it for us this week, and we'll see you later.